Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to read a single verse. We're kicking off a series today called Made in Bethlehem. Made in Bethlehem. And in fact, the installment to, to get us started in this series. Today, if you're taking notes, write this down somewhere, either on a piece of paper, write it on your iPhone or your iPad or however you take notes, because we all know that note takers are history makers. Um, so write this down somewhere. We want to talk to you today about some assembly required. Some assembly required. When I say that phrase, some assembly required, I know that for some of you moms and dads, it strikes fear into the heart of a parent. When, when we say some assembly required, we insinuate work. Come on, somebody say work. You know, how many of you, whether it was a swing set, whether it was a train set, whether it was a dollhouse, come on somebody, you have spent some time assembling some toys the night before Christmas. Yeah, you know, they say Christmas, it's the most wonderful time. Until December 24th and it's late at night and you've got toys you've got to put together. You're staring at about 5,000 pieces. You've got 10,000 screws and a single Allen wrench the size of a thimble. Come on somebody. Anybody ever been there? Some assembly required. Now, fellas, I'm gonna take a minute just to talk to the guys. Where are you guys? Come on, testosterone. All right, fired up. Fellas, we don't flinch when we read some assembly required. Do we? Somebody like, Pastor, speak for yourself. Because I think it's this kind of innate trainer inside of all of us. There's, we feel like we've got some working knowledge. Now, you know, I may not be the, the Home Depot do-it-yourself guru, but I feel like if you, if you show me a picture of what's on the box, I can kind of navigate and finagle and figure it out. Come on, fellas, are you with me? Y'all don't sound real confident right now. Ah, I love it. I love it. Have you ever, moms and dads, have you ever gone to the store and you see something in the store and, and maybe it's a box like this. Here we have Thomas the Train. Thomas the Train. How many of you, your kids grew up with Thomas? Oh, yes, indeed. Thomas the Train. You see a train set. Now, now check out this, the, the, the box here. You see this train set that's put together. I mean, and just every piece in place. Look at the joy on these kids' faces. <laughs> Now, what they don't show you just outside of the frame is an exhausted dad who's had it because he spent hours trying to piece something together. You know, as, as moms and dads, we all know the joy of buying the perfect gift because we're thinking, you know what? These kids, I want that joy. I want those smiles. I want this spirit in my house. And so we see it on a box. And we all know the joy of getting the right gift to bring joy to our kids, but we all know the pain of trying to put together that toy. Now, so what I want to do here, I don't know how to even open this. Let's see if I can. 
because sometimes what's on the box. Oh my goodness. Now, how many of you know that right there is real life? Come on, somebody talk to me. Now we all have this, you know, picture perfect idea in mind of what Christmas is supposed to look like, but then there's the reality. Can I have a better amen? What do you do? Now, now watch this. What do you do when what's on the box doesn't necessarily look like what's in the box? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you call for mom. That's what somebody says. Because the, the, the truth is this. I think all of us can identify at times with the hope, the dream, the desire to have something special, but we feel like life is in pieces. And, and I feel like I'm talking to some people today. Maybe you came in here and, you know, we got the nice and neat and the rosy and the warm feeling of Christmas. But if we were to look inside of you, we don't see what's on the box. We see what's in the box. Maybe you came here today and you feel like your relationship is in pieces. You've had friendships that you were once very close and connected, very committed to, but those things are kind of divided and fragmented. Maybe in your marriage, it's not the, the, the picture perfect moment that you feel like everybody else is Instagramming, everybody else is Facebooking, and what's happening in their life doesn't look anything like what's happening in yours. Maybe it's your finances and you feel like you just have fragments. You've got bits and pieces. Maybe you've got a dream of where you want to be financially, but the reality of your world, it's just splintered. I want to talk to you about the assembling process because the, the truth is sometimes the reality of our life looks like this. Now, God almost, and follow this metaphor just for a moment, almost like a loving parent, like a, like a heavenly father on Christmas Eve. He sees the pieces of our lives. Now, and and, and this, this maybe represents some of us today. We want this right here, but what we're living is this right here. What do you do when your life is simply pieces? I want to talk to you about that process. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 10. I love this verse. The Bible says, for we are God's handiwork. Somebody say handiwork. Notice what's hidden in that word handiwork. It's work. How many of you know God is at work? God is assembling some things. He's building some things. He's putting some things together. And the scripture says we are God's handiwork. The, the work, literally the work of his hand. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? What, what happens when God sits in his living room? And he opens up the box of our life and he begins to assemble the different pieces and put them together. Well, there's a process that God uses. And I wanted to talk to you about that for the next few moments that we have together. If you're taking notes, write this first thought. And I think this is most important. Three simple thoughts, but this is probably the most important. Number one, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Turn to your neighbor and say, God knows. Tell him, tell that, tell that person, I don't always know, but God knows. See, we have to settle the fact that God is sovereign. The Bible says we are God's handiwork, meaning we are the work of his hand. So if God knows what he's doing, it tells me this. Number one, trust his plan. 
we got to trust him. Trust that he's sovereign. He understands. He knows the blueprint. And so we may not always know what he's doing. We may not always understand why he's doing it or even when it's happening. But if we'll trust his plan, I'm telling you, God has a way of bringing pieces together and making them absolutely beautiful. Parents, have you ever tried to put together those toys? Kids are so excited. They're just so anxious and they have no patience whatsoever. They think like this box needs to come together in two minutes and they hover over you. How many of you moms and dads, you've had your kids try to help you? And they mean well, don't they? They're just so excited. But, they, they, you know, you're looking for pieces, and they're actually playing with the pieces that you're looking for. They, they, they hover over you. Hey, when's it going to be ready? Are you ready yet? Is it almost done? And sometimes I wonder if we treat God the same way. How many's ever tried to help God out before? Okay, only three of you being honest today. Rest y'all lying. Sometimes I feel like I need to give God some pieces of information about my life that he doesn't have. Lord, let me give you some context. Have you ever tried to give God context? Because you're praying and you have a plan and, and there's a certain understanding, but when, you're, when your life doesn't come together as you feel like it should, then it's, it's sometimes the tendency is to help God out. Lord, let me help you just for a minute. Let me tell you, let me give you the rundown of what's happening at the office. Because God, when you find out what I'm getting ready to tell you, it's going to be a game changer. Lord, you're going to fix that person. You're going to move that person out. You're going to correct that person. You know, and, and a lot of times we have the idea, we have the plan, and we want to inform God. Can I tell you this? God does not need our help. How many of you know we need his help? The truth is, God has never confused himself with us. But sometimes we get confused, don't we? Sometimes we try to play God in our lives, try to play God in somebody else's life. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? God knows what he's doing. So what does that require of us? Trust. Here's the, 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 the picture that I got, and I, I remember... Years ago, my oldest daughter, Alexa, she's now a freshman at LSU. She's 18 years old. But I remember when she was 18 months old. I mean, it was just, it feels like just yesterday. And when she was young, how many of you know moms and dads, when you got one kid, you just pile them up, you pack them up, and you take them everywhere you go. I mean, you just, whatever errands you're running, whatever services we were a part of. I mean, here we were youth pastors back in the day, and, and Alexa was a part of every, you know, every overnight lock-in, every event. She thought she was a teenager. She's a year and a half. That girl liked to go, but she didn't like to be strapped into a car seat, okay? Get in that car seat and just had to fight and wrestle her in that car seat. Now, if you fellas... <laughs> If your wife is like mine, she's going to make sure that that five-point harness, I mean, according to state specifications, everything is exactly right. And so, man, putting Alexa in the car seat, man, we'd get started, go down the road, and I'm driving. I remember one time we were driving, and she was just begging me, Daddy. She said, Daddy, out, out. You know, big brown eyes, I mean, curly hair. She had little tears coming down her cheeks. She said, Daddy, out. And then she said, Daddy, love you. <laughs> Out. Now, now, how many know she's working me over? She knows. She knows inside of this six foot two, 200 pounds, all muscle. 
there's a little soft spot and she just, she had the combination. She knew exactly how to get me right in the center of my soul. Come on, dads. How many of you know, are you with me? And she's just crying, dad, if you, what was she saying? Dad, if you love me, now, now daddy, you know, I love you. I just declared my love for you. But if you really love me, you're going to get me out of this. Now, what kind of father would I be? If I, we're driving 60 miles an hour down the interstate, if I just kind of reach back there, well, I want her to know I love her, so I'm going to let her out. How many know I'd be a terrible father? They'd throw me in jail. Because I love her, I keep her strapped and harnessed into that car seat. Now make the translation, church. Sometimes we go through seasons in our lives where we said, God, if you really love me, Oh, don't you see? I'm suffering here. I'm struggling here. Don't you see the pieces of my life? Get me out of this. But because God is sovereign and because he loves us, he leaves us right where we are. And he says, son, daughter, I'm developing something in you. I'm doing something in you. If you'll trust me, I know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm doing, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. What do you do when it feels like the building process in your life is actually opposite of what the box looks like? You've got a dream and a vision and a passion, but it feels like the path that you're on is moving you further away. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph had a dream when he was 17 years old. He saw some things. He had a vision. God began to deposit things in his heart. But it seemed like one bad experience after another led him further away from the box. He went from, from the pit. His brothers threw him in a pit. Then they sold him as a slave. And he finds himself down in Egypt. He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house where he is, he is falsely accused and he's thrown into prison. He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison. It seemed like the box was getting further and further away. At that moment, what do you do? You either take matters into your own hands and you devise your own plan or you trust that God knows what he's doing. Have you discovered that life works out better when you trust his hand? Don't pursue your plan, you trust his hand. In fact, listen to this, when you don't understand the hand of God, you can still trust the heart of God. You may not understand everything that he's doing, but if you trust in his heart, that his purpose and his plan for you, it's for your good. And ultimately, it's for his glory. In fact, the scripture says it this way in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Yet God has made, everybody say made. You see, God's still at work now. He's assembling some things. He's putting some things together. God is a builder from the beginning of time until now. Not only did he make everything that we see, but he's making us in the process. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Can I encourage some people today? God sees your journey from beginning to end. All we see is the moment we're in now. Now we can look back and see where we've come from. Now let me encourage you. You may not be where you want to be, but thank God you're not where you used to be. You're a work in progress. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's still working on me. 
I think there ought to be some orange and white barrels around the the soul of our lives because that's a construction zone. God's working on us. I'm not there yet, but be patient. I'm on my way. Putting toys together made me think about Mr. Potato Head. Any Mr. Potato Heads at your house? Do you have that? You watch the cartoon, you see Toy Story. Mr. Potato Head always ran into problems when he tried to put himself together. Never could get his nose in the right place. His nose would end up where his ears were supposed to be and his eyes were on top of his head. He needed some help. How many of you know we need help? If you leave it up to you to find the best version of you, you're going to fall short. God has the plan. He knows what he's doing. Trust his plan. I love what Isaiah 46 verse 9, the scripture says it this way. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. You see, God is a builder and there's a process. Here's what I'm reminded of. When you love the process, you'll love what the process produces. When you love the process and you trust his plan, then you'll never be disappointed. Number one, God knows what he's doing. Trust his plan. Number two, there are no extra or missing pieces. You ever put something together and you think, wait a second. The factory didn't send me everything they were supposed to. I'm missing a few pieces. Or maybe after you put it together, you had those extra leftover pieces and you're thinking, what's this all about? I don't need these pieces, only to discover later on that you really needed the pieces. Maybe you skipped step four, so by the time you're at step 15, those extra pieces, come on now, talk to me, talk to me. That'll test your Christianity. You just about have it done, but there's four or five additional pieces and you're thinking, man, these are extra, only to realize you skipped a step and now you have to deconstruct and then reconstruct. Come on, somebody. Some assembly required. There are no extra pieces and there are no missing pieces. Think about it, missing pieces. This really resonated with me because for a large portion of my life, I've carried such a sense of lack in terms of insufficiency. I've, have you ever felt like that you just were never enough? Anybody? I, I felt like I was never good enough. Um, I was never smart enough. Uh, I, I was never talented enough. I never had enough ability. I never had enough knowledge. Well, I never went to Bible college, so I didn't have this. I didn't have that. And I just felt such a sense of lack. And God has, has faithfully reminded me. He says, Mike, when you came into the kingdom, I didn't recruit you to come into the kingdom. I didn't recruit you based on your ability. How many of you know we don't offer anything to God? I didn't have anything to offer. He says, I didn't recruit you into the kingdom. I adopted you into the kingdom. It's not based on what I do, but it's based on what he's done. I think about the, the, the words of the great hymn, Rock of Ages. And the portion of that song that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. 
If that's how we come to Jesus, empty-handed, how many of you know how we stay in Jesus? It's not filling our hands with anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing in my, if you're here today and you feel like you're not enough, I want you to know this. What you lack in ability, God makes up for in grace. Where you feel deficient, God says, my grace is sufficient. In other words, whatever gap, whatever emptiness, the goodness of God says, there is nothing missing. You know, I didn't make a mistake when I put you together. In other words, God knows what he's doing, so trust his plan. But number two, there are no extra or missing pieces. You've got to trust his provision. You've got to trust his provision. He'll give you what you need when you need it. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're shouting today. Why am I more excited about this than you are? If you get a revelation that there is nothing that God has called you to that he won't equip you for, if you get that revelation, you can be free in your heart because the enemy wants you to think you never measure up and you'll go through life with with a sense of insecurity. You'll always feel like somebody's better. Man, they can do that easier. And you'll compare yourself to everybody else. Instead, you come to Jesus every morning and say, Lord, I just declare there's nothing missing in my life. You give me everything that I need to do what you've required of me. So I trust your provision today. You're going to put words in my mouth. You're going to put thoughts in my mind. You're going to bless the works of my hand because it's you through me. It's not me. Can I have a better amen? Nothing missing. The scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, by his divine power. Now, whose power is it? It's his. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You want to walk in purity, in holiness, in victory. God will give you everything you need to accomplish that. It's why. It's his power through you. There's nothing missing. Now, let me give you the the flip side to that. There's nothing extra. there's, There's not a moment. Now, maybe sometimes we go through something and we'll say, what was that all about? Well, why was that even necessary? Or we'll say, man, I never want to go through that again. And sometimes we we have a hard time contextualizing a difficult experience and we think that it's wasted. Can I tell you, God never wastes pain. He never wastes hurt, a heartache, a hang up, a habit, a a dream, a passion, a desire. None of that's wasted. There's, There's nothing extra. Well, that was really unnecessary. No, 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 no. God is a God of divine purpose. Remember my, my, my junior year in college, I was pursuing a degree in computer science. And some of you have heard this before, but this is part of my testimony, part of my story. In, in, in school, playing basketball on a scholarship, studying computer science, not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. One thing I said I would never do is preach the gospel. <laughs> you know, I think when we say words like always and never, God just laughs, doesn't he? Be careful. Don't ever tell God you'll never do something because then God will arrange some circumstances and you'll do the thing you said you'd never do and you'll have so much joy doing it, it'll embarrass you. 
I said, I'll never preach the gospel. Some things that happened at the church I was a part of, and I was discouraged, disappointed with church leadership. Never lost faith in God, but really just kind of lost faith in the local church. And so about my junior year in college, I was leading a Bible study with some of the athletes on the basketball team, and you know, I found that I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed Bible study more than I enjoyed practice. And I look forward to Tuesday morning Bible study more than I did traveling and playing on the weekends. And so, you know, people would come to me and say, hey, Mike, have you ever thought about going into ministry? Don't you dare. How dare you? I mean, I thought it was like a cuss word. How dare you? I'll never preach the gospel. There's no integrity behind the pulpit. I won't do that. I don't want nothing to do with that. And, uh, but God, man, he began to soften my heart. Man, I sense God leading me to, to, to explore, okay, what does it mean to go in a minute? God, what are you calling me to do? And so I called one of the few pastors that I trusted. I called my youth pastor, Pastor Dino Rizzo, the founding pastor of this church. I said, Dino, listen, I don't know what to do. I'm about to graduate with a degree in computer science, but I feel the Lord leading me to serve in ministry. He says, Mike, I want you to meet me at my house Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. So I'm like, oh, yes, yes. He senses the anointing that's on my life. He sees the touch of God. He wa- Saturday morning, ooh, that's early. He may want to go over his Sunday sermon with me, maybe for me to help him through some things. He may want to turn over a ministry of the church to me. or I don't know, man. Maybe he wants me to teach or preach or do something. Yes, thank you, God. Other people recognize this gift. Sunday or Saturday morning, I knocked on his door early, no answer. Kept knocking, no answer. Two minutes go by, I'm thinking, man, he's forgotten about. Finally, he opens the door, he's got bedhead, hair everywhere. I think I woke him up. He's like, oh, yeah, um, look, there's my, my, my weed eater, there's my gas can. Go ahead and weed eat my yard, and when you're done, come let me know. I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's not my anointing. It's not my gift. What about the call of God on my life? How many of you know God will arrange experiences for us to give us what we need? You know, how many know God will find a way to give you some humility? God will find a way to make sure that your motives are pure. He's going to make sure that you're, you're serving and you're doing it for the right reasons. Because God can't release you into the picture that's on your box until you first have all the right parts. You got to make sure that you got the stuff in there so so there are no gaps. There are no missing pieces. There are no extra pieces. God has a way of giving us what we need. Maybe it's through pain. Maybe it's through heartache. Maybe it's through work. Maybe it's through something difficult. But God's saying, I'm doing something in you even though it's difficult. Romans 8, 28, Paul said it this way. And we know that all things, somebody say all things, not some things, Not most things, not a lot of things, but all things. I'm telling you, God does all things well. Everything exactly to his plan. He, he, we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I have a better amen? I love it. And then watch it. In verse 29, the Bible says, for those that he knew in advance, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Watch this. Why is that important? Because what's happening around you and what God is doing in you is for the purpose of helping you look like Jesus. 
At the end of the day, whatever path, whatever journey, whatever the, the, the pieces of your life look like, when you put it together, there's a picture that God wants it to resemble. He wants it to resemble his son. Number one, God knows what he's doing. Trust his plan. Number two, there are no extra or missing pieces. Trust his provision. And finally, number three, God won't stop until you're complete. God won't stop until what he started in you is finished. In other words, trust his plan, trust his provision, but number three, trust his purpose. Jesus said, and I want to ask the the band, they can come up. Jesus said in John, I believe it's John 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. What was Jesus talking about? Heaven. How many of you are looking forward to that day? Heaven. I'm so glad this world is not my home. If I have hope in this world only, I'm a miserable man. Jesus said, now watch this. I know, dial in just for a second. Stay, stay, stay focused. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's talking about heaven. Now watch how this works. Jesus is preparing heaven for us. And at the same time, he's preparing us for heaven. Isn't that amazing? That God is working as we speak in preparation for a place up there. But he's also working as we speak right here, getting us ready for that place up there. Now, if you look at the glory and splendor of the world, how many days did it take God to put all this together? Six days. Six days. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And boom, there was light. God divided the land and the sea and all the plants and the animals and everything that we see, the glory and the splendor of the world, we can see God framed it. He framed the, the, the worlds by the words of his mouth. He just spoke it. Out of nothing came something in six days. It took him six days. But you know what blows my mind? God's still at work preparing heaven for us. What does that tell you about heaven? I don't know how good your days here on earth but they pale in comparison to what you and I are going to experience when we get to heaven because he's still working on that place. And what's beautiful is God's still working on me to prepare me for that place. Then Paul said it this way in Philippians one, verse six, he said, I am certain I am confident. I am so convinced that God who began a good work within you will continue it until it's finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. In other words, what he starts, he finishes. He's not going to leave it halfway. He's not going to leave it undone. He said, I've started this thing in you. Trust me. Trust my plan. Trust my provision and trust my purpose. I'm going to make sure that you cross the finish line of this thing and you're going to do it in the right way at the right time. This reminds me of, and I read this recently let me, let me finish with this final, final picture. The process of refining gold. I, I don't know if you're familiar with what this looks like, but it's fascinating to me how a refiner 
will, will, will purify gold. Gold, when it's mixed with foreign substances, there, there are certain alloys and, and metals and, and, and foreign materials. When it's mixed with all that corro- uh, corrosion, it's really hard and brittle. But when you purify gold, when you remove those impurities, gold becomes soft. Now, there's a, a process that a refiner will go through to purify gold. I want you to listen to this. The first thing he does is he takes that gold and he'll crush it. He'll grind it into powder. Some of you maybe are here today and you feel crushed in your spirit. Maybe you feel like your life is broken and fragmented, just like this box. All the pieces, you're not quite sure what to do with. A a refiner will take that gold and he'll crush it, he'll break it down, and then he mixes it with a substance called flux. And what flux will do, flux will pull out all the impurities all of those foreign metals, and, and, and when you apply heat to it, now watch this, because some of you are going through the furnace of affliction. Things, things have, have become heated in your world. And what, what happens is when heat is applied to that substance, all those foreign metals rise to the top. The gold stays at the bottom, and all those impurities are, are, are elevated to the surface, and it's called dross. And that refiner will scrape the dross off the top, And then he heats it up again and impurities come out again and he scrapes off the dross and he does it again and again. You say, Mike, when does he know to stop? The refiner stops. Gold is purified when he can look down into that gold and he can see a perfect reflection of himself. He knows at that moment, okay, now this gold is purified and it's ready. And you know what God does with each and every one of us? He brings us through a refining process. Some of us, he breaks us down. Some of us, he applies heat. But at the end of the day, the refiner, and here's what what he wants from us. He wants the world to look at us and see a reflection of his son, Jesus. Some assembly required. Throughout the Old Testament, there have been bits and pieces of this promise. Think about it. All throughout the the, the hundreds and thousands of years, throughout the Old Testament, bits and pieces of the promise of Bethlehem. In Genesis chapter 3, the scripture tells us, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This word was spoken to the enemy of our own soul and was referring to who? Jesus. That was just a bit, a piece of the promise. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites and you must listen to him. Who's Moses referring to? Jesus. Look at what David said in Psalm 45. He says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. What piece is David talking about? He wasn't t- he, Moses had a piece of the puzzle. B- back in the Garden of Eden, there was a piece of the puzzle. Now David, he's talking about an anointed ruler. His name is Jesus. Micah said this in Micah chapter 5, but you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Who is that ruler? Micah was talking about, he had a peace. He was talking about Jesus. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He says in chapter 7, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, for the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. All the Old Testament prophets had bits and pieces of the promise, but those pieces came together and were assembled on the day Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in the city of Bethlehem. And now today, in 2016, the hope of the world comes to us, and he comes to us fully assembled in perfect time without missing any pieces. This is our hope. Maybe you've come here today and you feel like your life is broken and fragmented. I want to tell you this. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Jesus is the picture and the promise that can put every piece together. Can I have a good amen? Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org. Or give us a call at 225-753-2273.